Hey aliens, Ren here. Quick content note before we enter the landing pad. In this episode, we briefly mention the domestic abuse that Tina Turner went through in her life. No details are included, but it can be distressing to some listeners. We will include the timestamps that reference this in the show notes, so if you need to pass over it, you can. If you or anyone you know is going through or has been through any kind of trauma or abuse, do not hesitate to reach out and contact your local hotline. There are resources to help you get out of the situation. Everything will get better. You are strong. We believe you. And no type of abuse is your fault. Thank you and take care of yourselves out there. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I'm your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. And our techno-mage, Ren, a.k.a. Potty Lily. Nick, Ren, I saw something last night. Um, it's probably from, I think, about 2017, animated film from Warner Brothers, Batman and Harley Quinn. Yes. Now, they had, uh, it was on television, so they had had the uh, disclaimer that if you're under 14, you probably shouldn't be watching this. The humor was so adult in it, I went, mm, not sure somebody 14 should be watching this. But I have to say, uh, we've said it before in this podcast, and I'm going to say it again. I think Warner Brothers does a much better job with the animated features than they actually do with the DCU. I, I do agree with that. A uh, funny story about that as well. Um, was years ago, I rented the uh, the Suicide Squad cartoon movie from Family Video. Mm -hmm. It was in the kids section. Yeah. After I, after I rented it and watched it, I went back and said, this should not be in the kids yeah, section, no. just so you know. Yeah, exactly. What was interesting about Batman and Harley Quinn was the fact that Harley Quinn has gone straight, but of course she's not right in the head. No. We we know that. Um, there's a uh, a scene which you can find on YouTube. It's not graphic or anything, but you know that she and Dick Grayson um, have some adult time before Batman uh, finds them. <laughs> yep, that, um, that does happen in that film. Yeah. Yes, there there's some. Um, some other references, but for me, it was this glorious Easter egg. 1960s Batman with Adam West, Burt Ward, and just a slew of celebrity villains. Yes. Julie Newmar plays Catwoman. Yes. Catwoman has three henchmen. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Meeny, miny, moe, I think is what yeah. they are. Meeny, miny, and moe. They go into this bar where there is henchmen and villains, if you will. Uh... And they have to sing karaoke. Not Batman and, and Nightwing, but there's karaoke being sung. Two of those three henchmen, Meanie, Miney, or Moe, are there. In their attire it, yeah. that they wear in the 60s. And I saw that and I just went, oh, that's brilliant. That is just so brilliant. They decide, poor, bad life choice, that they are going to 
taunt the bat. Not a good choice. They send him a glass of milk. Ha yeah. ha ha. Whatever. You see the smaller of the two go, no, don't do it. No, dude, no, don't. He goes over. This is how he taunts the bat. By doing the Batusi from the oh, 1960s. I was living for it because as they're going to leave this grungy American roadside bar, all of these henchmen villains are going to lay gloves down on the bat and Nightwing. And what you see occur is Batman downs the glass of milk and then you see the old pow kind of stuff. And it's not pow, it's just like, crunch it's bleeding and then one of yeah. them one of them is ow my <laughs> so the thing one of the things about that movie is i think that was kind of the precursor to the harley quinn tv show because the, the humor is similar it's a straight up comedy yeah but it's it's also a lot raunchier as well i i really enjoy that show it is hilarious i love the uh alan tudyk is the joker like just yeah. And you know what's ironic about that? It's not so much ironic, but a neat little Easter egg is in this movie, in Batman and Harley Quinn, Melissa Rush, who played Bernadette on The Big Bang Theory, plays Harley Quinn. That's hilarious. In the one that you're talking about, it's Kaylee Cuoco who yeah. plays Harley Quinn. Both of them from The Big Bang Theory. Penny, Penny and Bernadette. So. I knew Kaylee, I knew Kaylee Cuoco was was Harley Quinn in the cartoon series. I didn't realize it was Melissa Rush in that movie. Yeah, and, and she does a fabulous job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I was just kind of blown away when I found out that that's who the, the voice was. And, of course, it's Kevin Conroy playing Batman. And, yeah. So. You know, whatever. And But they make fun of the fact that uh, in one of the animated series for a while, Dick Grayson had the mullet. And, yep. Yeah, you know, there's just... And just some of the humor was hilarious. Like, Harley Quinn wants them to pull over because she is having some tummy trouble. And the bat refuses to do it. And she goes, okay, I warned you. And she cuts the cheese. Dick is ready to vomit. Uh, and he's like, really, Batman, this is awful. And he's like, that smells like discipline. <laughs> 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 and then it just gets too much for Batman, too. And you see them pulling over at this bar where all these things happen. And she hops out. And it's just like, it's... It, it, it's this stuff. I haven't seen a Warner Brothers animated feature about the the DC characters that I have not enjoyed. Yeah, there are they're norm. I'm gonna say they're all really good. Again, and I know I've said this before. Why they don't have the people who are writing those movies writing the live action movies is a hundred percent beyond me. I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but speaking of superheroes, speaking of Superman, you know, there's a few things that. Um, Maybe we don't get right. I've been listening to some of our old podcasts. There's a few things that I've probably changed my mind on. You've probably changed your mind on. There's a few things like mistakes get made here and there. You and I have savaged some of the MCU movies of late, particularly during phase four. Yep. I got reminded the other day and I posted it on our Facebook page. So, so please, aliens, go check that out. None of those movies are as bad as Superman Quest for Peace. Very few movies are as bad as Superman. <laughs> but okay, compare, <laughs> comparing the modern films to superhero films when they were still 
basically in her infancy. Okay, but is a Superman thing. the movie is fantastic. Superman the movie Superman is fantastic. Superman 2 is fantastic with General Zod, you know, and just all that kind of stuff. Like, we get that iconic line, Neil before Zod, and then it goes off the rails. With Completely. And, with with Richard and Pryor. And then it comes back with Tim Burton's Batman. So, yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I tested our aliens. I said, can you guess which movie, though, we would consider to be as bad or worse than Quest for Peace? What would you say it would be, Nick? From the MCU that we savage now, not not necessarily. I mean, not necessarily the MCU proper. Could be a Sony one. Come on, this is not a. This is not hard. I mean, I would say Howard the Duck, but <laughs> that we have savaged recently. Um, Sony. Uh, oh, Morbius. Oh, <laughs> why? Why did you bring that up? Because <laughs> it's Morbin time. <laughs> oh, why did you have to do that? Just yeah. because I wanted to see you take off your glasses and get an ice cream headache. Oh my god! I had I had got I finally got that movie out of my head. Thank <laughs> you so much. Speaking of Facebook, Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, you can find us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at the Area Fifty One H. Of course, you can find us on Facebook by searching for Area Fifty One and a Half. Yep. Uh, another interesting thing down the shoot, Nick. I, I actually just heard this on the radio on the way over. Interesting thing, we don't talk about Broadway a whole lot on this show. In fact, I don't think we've ever mentioned it. And I think, you know, once in a while we should. Um, Here Lies Love is, I think that's the right title. I think that's the title of it. Is a the story of Imelda Marcos's rise from uh, being a model to being, you know, the first lady of the Philippines. Right. And it's a musical, of course. But what's interesting is that it's the first time that it's been told with an all Filipino cast. That's interesting. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, I know that a lot of people, uh, I mean, the, the Marcos were in power when I was a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, it's really fascinating because a lot of people do kind of look at the musical and they think that it's sort of glamorizing the Marcos. It's not. It's basically telling a cautionary tale of, you know, starting humble, becoming powerful. Absolute and, power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, and the corruption that can happen. So it's really telling sort of the story of the party that the Marcos were having while they were in power and then the hangover of, you know, when they weren't, yeah. weren't in power. The title comes from an interview uh, where Imelda Marcos was basically trying to justify her decadence by saying that as the first lady, as Imelda Marcos, the, the president's, or whatever it's, it's called, dictator, if you will, of the Philippines, she needs to exude the beauty and love that Filipinos should aspire to. Imelda, whatever you need to tell yourself to sleep at night, baby, exactly. is, is fine by me. Uh, but with that, it is time for Nick's Pop Culture Roundup. All right. So to start off, I don't know how this slipped by me because I'm normally on the ball with this stuff. There's a new Hellboy film and it's finished filming. What? Yeah. So this is attempt number three. Is, Har is Harbor? Nope. Okay. Nope. Uh, playing Hellboy is Jack Kesey. Jack Cassie. I don't know the guy. Um, he's been in... Baywatch, uh, he was in The Outpost, a bunch of stuff I've never actually seen. Uh, Deadpool 2 is Black Tom. I, I don't know. He was in The Strain. 
I know him from the strain. That's about it. But yeah, the the it's it's Hellboy the Crooked Man, and <laughs> it's actually this one's actually a complete um, adaptation of one of the comic book stories. Okay, so they're not just taking elements from a comp from the comic books; they're adapting one of the stories, which I'm looking forward to. It Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy, is super excited for it. Right. Um, I I will watch Hellboy movies. Yeah, I love Hellboy. I well, love the yeah. comics. I would love to see Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro back, but that's not going to happen. So, however. That's what makes it difficult. When you have an actor like Ron Perlman, who basically has spent most of his career under makeup, you know, who has been active and in the public eye since the 1980s doing these fantastic characters from Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Not the Disney Beauty and the Beast, the TV series with Linda Hamilton. Uh, from Hellboy, from uh, just whatever makeup he was always under, uh, playing these rich characters and doing it expertly, Sons of Anarchy, you know, mm-hmm. wh- whatever, you know, he's everybody's kind of favorite actor, you know. He, he kind of rose to be an A-list actor, even though he was always sort of a B-list kind of supporting actor, but... Yeah. The thing of it is, how do you top somebody like you Ron can. Perlman? You now, cannot. David Harbour did his best. David that Harbour did his script was not good. Agreed. Okay, here's my thing um, with Ron Perlman. I'll talk about Hellboy a, a little bit more in just a second. But with Ron Perlman, one of his roles always kind of stuck with me. He did a guest role in the TV series based on the Highlander movies. And he played a pacifist uh, immortal. And it was always just kind of neat just seeing Ron Perlman, who's this... Um, who has the appearances of the appearance of this big guy? Right. Um, after standing next to him, I'm realizing he's not really that big, but he has this appearance of this big guy, and he's just sniffing flowers and not fighting when he should be. And it's just, it was really interesting for, for me to see that. Yeah. But going back to Hellboy for a second, going back to the, the Ron Perlman movies, when Mike Mignola and Guillermo del Toro got together and started talking about the movie, they both said, "Okay, at the count of three, we want, we're going to say who we think would be perfect as the Hellboy character. And at the count of three, they both said Ron Perlman. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So knowing that that, who, that is the chosen character and they moved on from that is upsetting for me. Because even when I read the comic books, it's always Ron Perlman's voice, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. But well, still, I will see this. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've read the Crooked Man story. It'll be fun. I hope so. I hope they have the right director. I hope they have the right producer. I hope they have the right staff in place because it's, as we've said, it's hard to beat Ron Perlman and the Guillermo del Toro. Those two movies were fantastic. David Harbour should have been a good era parent for playing Hellboy. It's not that that script is bad. It's just that it's not good. And it's honestly forgettable. I don't remember a thing about it. Well, this... so let's hope that this, uh, this next one's good. This is um this might give you a little bit of pause. It's being directed by Brian Taylor, who directed the Crank movies. We shall see. Yeah, yeah, we exactly. Shall see. Yeah. Um so moving from the world of Hellboy to the real world, Henderson, Nevada has renamed its streets after Pokemon. So they've got like Squirtle Lane, Charmander Crescent, Snorlax Street. <laughs> I, I love that as a Pokemon fan. I think that's cool. I had to make the comment, being Gen X and you guys being millennials and knowing what your ages are, right? Because Mm -hmm. you guys are in your 30s. And I sat there and I said, well, 
we all wondered what the world would look like when millennials became adults. This is our first taste of it. Right here. Now that millennials are in charge of things like developing neighborhoods and putting names to streets, this is, this is what we get. <laughs> hey, why not? Well, because I'm not sure I want to live on Jigglypuff Lane. Now, mind you... I, I want to live on Jigglypuff Lane. I don't want to live on Jigglypuff Lane. However, I would consider living on Pikachu Place. <laughs> right, you row? No? Okay, fine. Listen, you did a whole video where I couldn't name a single Pokemon outside of Pikachu, and you expect me to 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 understand your 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 jape? Come on. That that's on our YouTube channel. Go look at it. It's marvelous. <laughs> oh man. Um. So along going along the idea of video games, uh, Nicolas Cage, one of my favorite actors of all time, is being added to Dead by Daylight, uh, which is a fun um cooperative game. He's being added in as one of the survivors, and it's really cool. He he's recorded everything, all of the dialogue, all of the screams, all of the sounds of pain is all him. And I'm just I'm happy for that because Nicolas Cage is awesome. You know, he is one of those actors. There's three that pop into mind: Cage, yep, Nicholson, and Defoe. Yeah. <laughs> Though, like they're they're a special breed, and yeah. I don't mean that derogatorily. Yeah, because like, at this point, you know, I, and I'll, I'm going to even throw in Tom Cruise in there because at this point, you're, okay. you're just kind of looking at actors who play kind of themselves in a way anymore. You know, like the, there are like Jack Nicholson. You went not because he was playing a character, but because he was Jack Nicholson. You you go because Nicolas Cage is going to be Nicolas Cage. So, and I, I've probably mentioned this before, but one of the reasons that I adore Nicolas Cage as an actor, as a performer, is because he is utterly fearless in his performances. And what I mean by that is he will go and he will do something. He throws crap at the wall to see if it sticks. And if it doesn't stick, he's fine with it. He just moves on. Well, but these actors that we have mentioned, they've been around long enough that... They don't give a rat's pajamas. <laughs> they just do it. I mean, we're also talking about a guy that bought a T-Rex skull, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, Details have not been released of when the package is coming out, but I will be downloading it and streaming it on Twitch. Looking forward to that. So, last episode we talked about disney we did 100 years of the house of mouse we and salute our mouse overlords all hail the mouse <laughs> the galactic cruiser at walt disney world that's that extremely expensive hotel where you go and it's this immersive yes. star wars experience i think it's like five grand a night uh they're shutting that down because <laughs> it's been 18 months and five grand a night ain't, ain't nobody paying for that i would but love to i've heard that it's really not great either like whoever designed it or did it didn't seem to understand star wars at all that's also a possibility as well um a creator called straw hat goofy he was invited to the opening weekend by disney he got to go on there for free invited by disney and it looked really neat it looked really cool they had exclusive foods and there were stormtroopers and they went to like there, there was no windows to the outside right it was all tv screens showing space right and they had travels through hyperspace 
and all sorts of stuff. But as much as I would love to do something like that, I don't want to pay five grand for that. Well, the other thing that I've heard, and this is conjecture, it's rumor, I don't know, I can't say for sure, uh, is that when you were there as a Disney cast member, mm -hmm. you were kind of stuck in this immersive situation that you had like you had to be in the entire time for your entire shift, which, you know, when you're a cast member out in the park doing something like, say, you're being a character or say you're handling one of the characters or say you're you've got a special skill that they show you how to basically paint a little Mickey Mouse with water from your your mop or whatever. Um, they don't have to be on all the time. Whereas in this immersive situation, they had to be on all the time. So I'm of, I'm of two ways about that. On the one hand, if Disney paid me to role play a stormtrooper for an entire weekend, I'd be cool with that. At on the other wage? hand, yeah, on the other hand, eh, I but I'm sick of that real quick. Yeah, but I mean, it's not just that because like the thing of it is like when you get stormtroopers that are walking around, say, Galaxy's Edge, they walk around for their moment or whatever, right? And then they, yeah. they go somewhere else and moment and go somewhere else and moment and then disappear. And then, you know, they, they get a break, they go do something else, whatever, and then other stormtroopers come in and do this moment. No. My understanding from uh, my resident Disney expert, Mark, is that they, like, suppose you're an Imperial commander. Right. You are stuck there for your eight-hour shift as an Imperial commander. Yeah, you get your breaks, but ugh, as an actor, even, like, to do that for eight hours, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. That's conjecture. That's rumor. I don't know. But if it's true, wow. Oh, wow. That would be a pain. Hey, and if any uh, any of the Disney talent are listening to this, gosh, give us a shout out on Twitter and let us know. I don't think they are. But this is not new for Disney because, let's face it, Disney, had, you can go on YouTube, you can see it. They just abandon stuff. They let the swamp take it back. Yeah, I, I know. I know. They'll, But I think that's big enough, a big enough space that they will just... They'll repurpose it for something. Oh, yeah, they're going to have to. Um, so going from one Disney-acquired property to another, Deadpool 3 is filming! Now, we know that Yukio and Negasonic Teenage Warhead are back. Colossus is back. I don't know if Colossus is back. There's conjecture he is. Okay. Um, but here's the thing that's slightly disappointing. They're not, because of the writer's strike that's going on right now, they're not allowed to ad lib and improv on screen because oh. that, yeah, that technically counts as writing. Oh, so yeah, I didn't know that. And I, I kind of think that it's a mistake to be filming it right now because what's the point of a Deadpool movie if you can't have Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool? Well, it's not just that, but I mean, Hugh Jackman can actually give back too. Yeah, I know. Well, let me rephrase that. Uh, Ryan Reynolds as Van Wilder as Deadpool, but anyway. <laughs> oh, I, I have this whole headcanon. And, and Hugh Jackman as Wolverine as Wolverine. Exactly. <laughs> no, I have this whole headcanon where Van Wilder is actually a secret prequel to Deadpool. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. You anyway. have the weirdest headcanon. I have headcanon that makes sense. You have weird headcanon. If you watch Van Wilder, 
it makes sense because Van Wilder and Deadpool are so much alike in every way. It's ridiculous. Because it's Ryan Reynolds yeah, playing I know that. him. I know that. It's I know not that. like my headcanon where I sort of married Halloween, Halloween 2, The Fog, Fog yes. and H20. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that right now. I'll save that for the Halloween special. But, uh, well, I, you know what? I, I, I'm not one to tease. So I will I will explain the headcanon. In the fog, Jamie Lee Curtis plays a hitchhiker named Elizabeth. So she says. Yes. Okay. She gets picked up and she has that line, I don't know, wherever I go, bad things seem to happen to me. Mm-hmm. I theorized... Because H20 takes place in California. Yes. The Fog takes place in California. Yes. The continuation after Halloween 2, Laurie Strode is supposed to have died in a car accident. Yes. Laurie Strode in H20 says she faked her death. Because they had to marry it somehow. Let's just forget all about Jamie. Why not? But, you know... Uh, so, but I theorized that that could have been Laurie using a fake name to yeah, no, basically that, that makes sense. yeet herself out of Haddonfield in Illinois and get as far as she possibly could, which would be California. And abandon her baby Jamie. Yeah. That terrible But mother. that's that's my headcanon. Makes perfect sense. Your headcanon makes about as much sense as... As naming streets after Pokemon. <laughs> oh, come on. That's cool, though. <laughs> so before we get to our main topic, we want to remind our aliens to pick up your tickets to Forest City Comic Con held June 24th at London, Ontario Centennial Hall. Join our live panel at 1.30 p.m., see some incredibly talented cosplayers, and do some shopping at the vendor stands, plus so much more. So you can check out all of the schedule and buy tickets at forestcitycomiccon.ca. I'm excited. (laughs) I am excited. I love going to these things. (laughs) I've never actually been to the Forest City Comic Con. I've been to the London one. I've been to Niagara Falls Comic Con, which is coming up. Yep. Uh, So I just think that it's going to be a whole interesting new experience. And the fact that we are doing this panel, we're taping our show live in front of people who have the opportunity to ask us questions about doing a podcast. Yeah. And we're open to any questions. So go ahead. And well, I don't know about any question, but we'll pretend that we know what we're doing. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Nick, um, our main topic, as you know, got scrapped uh, Thursday night. Yeah. I think it was Thursday night. Trying to remember. Uh, if it was Wednesday or Thursday. Wednesday. I yeah. think it was Wednesday, yeah. When, well, some of our younger aliens will not recognize this name. And they should. They should. Things happened before you were born. Things happened that are incredible moments in history, in pop culture history, and in music history. We, are, of course, are talking about the passing of the queen of rock and roll, the legendary, the iconic Tina Turner. Yeah. Um, so he, here was here was my thing when I heard about Tina Turner's passing. It came as a shock because 
for all intents and purposes, Tina Turner was retired. She hadn't been in the public eye for a very long time. It didn't occur to me. And then I saw him like, oh, wow. Because Tina Turner, um, and I'm going to be very honest with you as a millennial, I am not overly familiar with Tina Turner. But the fact of the matter is, is because my mom was a huge Tina Turner fan. Tina Turner made up a huge part of the soundtrack of my yeah. childhood. Part of why that is, is because she retired yeah. around that time that you were coming into your own. Um, and, and, you know, after the life that she'd had, I get it. She made enough money to retire. Like she sat there and said, what dollar amount do I need? Um, she did her farewell tour. Yeah, she retired and, and lived a great life in Switzerland as she wanted to and yeah. should. The greatest thing about her living in Switzerland, I, I just loved Tina Turner's sense of humor. There is a sign on her property that says don't even think about bothering tina turner before noon that's hilarious <laughs> i mean it's it, it's just fantastic so of course we're going to talk about her life we're going to talk about her music we're going to talk about her movies mm -hmm. and we're just going to talk about the this incredible rock and roll goddess that there is Nobody remember Brett the Hitman Hart, the best there is, the best, best there was, was the, the best, best there ever will, will be. be. That fits Tina Turner. Yeah. Um and as I said, she made up the uh, a good part of the soundtrack of my childhood. Um just looking at how she how impactful she was, it wasn't just the music industry, it wasn't just the film industry, but man, the amount of advertisements that had Tina Turner songs mm -hmm. is just ridiculous. I, like, I can't remember what the advertisement was for, but I certainly remember Simply the Best being the music that was used. I actually might have been a, well, a few the, different... Yeah, the name of the song is actually The Best, but the lyric is Simply the Best. Right, Yeah. right. Um, and she was. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. That song fits her more than any other song. So let's start with, you know, how she was born. Yeah. So, of course, she was not born Tina Turner. She was born Anna Mae Bullock, November 26, 1939. So she was the youngest daughter of Floyd Richard Bullock and his wife, Zelma Priscilla. And they lived in um, just a little rural town. It's an unincorporated community called Nutbush, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's important because she has a hit song later on when she becomes yeah. famous called Nutbush. Yeah, I knew that, and I didn't realize that Nutbush was a real place. Yeah, it's so. a real place, yeah. And now, so what's really fascinating is that, one, she's born during the Depression. Yes. The Great Depression. Sort of the tail end of it, because World War II would sort of see the end of the Great Depression with this sort of big economy. But that's also a good 30 years prior to the end of segregation. Yeah. Right? So when you think about just the her early life, and all of the experiences that she had prior to meeting Ike Turner and becoming Tina Turner, as we know her now, yep. think about some of the jobs that she had to do. Mm -hmm. She had to work picking cotton with her father, who was uh, uh, an overseer. Yeah, an overseer of a sharecropper. Yeah. Of the sharecroppers. So she had to pick cotton. She was in high school. She was a cheerleader and on the basketball team. I know. That is so cool. And after high school, she became a nurse's aide. Yeah. Yeah. Like she, you could tell she had work ethic and drive. And I think that's what really 
made made her when you have somebody who has talent the drive is important right yeah and you know you don't know what kind of psyche she had going into it because as she says in her book i tina Mm -hmm. she talks about the fact that her mother was going to leave her father yeah but she became pregnant Mm -hmm. with tina turner with anna may bullock and she didn't want to leave him while she was pregnant but she also didn't want another child because she was young and wanted to move on so i mean this is kind of a an interesting dynamic yeah um and yet this child would be probably the most special child that you would ever have and become beloved across the globe. Could mm-hmm. you imagine if she had never been born? I can't even. No, I, I can't. I can't either. Um, it, 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 again, it's, it's her background. She has a like it's an amazing background. I know what you mean, because it's a background of hard, laborious work. Yes. Which was why it became enticing for her later on when she met Ike. But during World War II, she goes to live with her grandparents, who were a deacon and deaconess of a, of a I think it was a Baptist church. Yeah, and strictly religious as well. Yeah, so, I mean, this is where she learns to sing, basically, Yeah, she sang right? in the choir. Yeah, gospel and soul and all that kind of stuff, right? So she learns to sing here. But she said, and it's kind of an amazing quote that she had, talking in her book about her choices. She says, I would have been lost in my life at that point without him, meaning Ike Turner. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could do two things, work in a hospital or sing in Ike's band. I didn't know anything else or anyone else. And I wanted to sing. Yeah. So this is where it becomes problematic because history now tells us that she meets Ike Turner. He polishes her singing, Mm -hmm. really. Um, she rises up in his band. Mm-hmm. I, I I love... She, so she started singing with the band in 1957. She just grabbed the mic from the drummer and started singing B.B. King. Yeah, because she was, that is she was so singing cool. in the background. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, like, she was a background singer initially, but then, like, just her popularity, the, the way that she sang, her, mm-hmm. her unique voice, mm-hmm. obviously garnered that attention. And yeah. Ike was a lot of things. Yeah. P.O.S. being one of them. Yep. But when it came to music and it came to showmanship and it came to popularity, he was no fool. It's it's hard when you're dealing with somebody like Ike Turner to give the devil his due, right? <laughs> and, and to be fair, we could probably say that about a lot of people in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, um, the reason that we're going to not talk a whole lot about the abuse that Tina Turner suffered at the hands of Ike Turner is twofold. One, it's horrific. Mm-hmm. Two, that's not how she wanted her life defined. And we're not going to define her life that way on this podcast. Yeah. Yep. I will say, however, if there is an alien out there who is listening to us and is suffering abuse, please reach out to the various hotlines for that are available to you and resources that are available to you to help you get out of those situations. Yeah. So she meets Ike Turner and rises to, to a certain amount of fame as the Ike and Tina review. Yeah. Where I think Ike had his problems was, 
probably jealousy, where she becomes more beloved and famous than him. Yes. You know, so there's there's certainly a lot of narcissism on that. But when you consider just in that era alone, their rise to fame with singles like A Fool in Love, these are amazing songs. And I'll be honest with you, like, I know the song A Fool, uh, a Fool in Love. I didn't realize it was Ike and Tina Turner that did that. Yeah. I, but I mean... These are people that, in a time frame that you didn't see on TV a lot, going yeah. on things like American Bandstand and being sort of pioneering the idea of equal rights without pioneering the idea of equal rights. Yeah. You know, and it's just kind of fascinating to see that. Uh, I, I, I do remen remember mentioning, I think, Nat King Cole, another singer of the era, <laughs> Who couldn't even stay in the same hotel that he was performing in? It was ridiculous. Can you imagine that? No, I can't. I, I, but he goes and he gets into a upscale community, buys a house. The uh, homeowners association president comes to him and says to uh, Nat King Cole about, uh, you know, that they have. Um, a certain policy about not having anybody who is undesirable living in the neighborhood. And I love Nat King Cole's response. He says, I 100% agree with you. And when somebody undesirable moves into this neighborhood, you bring that petition around and I'll sign it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, this is the era that they're performing in. Yeah. You know, and so they're not getting a whole lot of respect, but they are also at the same time paving a way for other performers who are of color. Mm -hmm. And well, not just performers of color, but with Tina Turner, she paved the way for other women as well. Yeah. Listen, honestly, without Tina Turner, you would not have the Rihanna's. You would not have the Beyonce's. You would not have, uh, they even, even Beyonce said that she is the queen of rock and roll. She would not be here. She stands on Tina Turner's shoulders. Well, and even, even when you look at the way Beyonce performed, there is a bit of Tina in there. Oh, you can see it. Yeah. You I can like, see it. Um, and that, that is like iconically Proud Mary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, like even the idea of Sasha Fierce, which is one of Beyonce's, uh, I don't want to say alter egos, basically comes from that. Yeah, and just, you know, the way that Proud Mary starts, you know, it's like, we don't do anything easy. We like to do things nice and slow. Yeah. <laughs> and just that that rich voice that she had, that unique voice that she had. I mean, she, she had a great, and it wasn't just her singing voice. She had this, oh, this, this speaking voice that you're talking about. And yeah, it was very unique. And I, I found it hard to believe with her speaking voice and her singing voice that was the same person. Yeah, it was very commanding. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from um, her, I mean, part part of the her years with Ike to get through it, she became a Buddhist. Yeah. And so there's that meditation, there's that chanting, there's that. But I also think it comes from advocating for herself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, like there's this, this way of being and a way of speaking and a way of, journeying and a way of overcoming that nobody but tina turner seems to have yeah oh she was definitely unique yeah definitely unique 
but I mean, it's it's not it's just like the the whole inspiration of it. Like I said, I don't want to give too much press to Ike Turner and all of that, but the the way that she found that courage is tremendous. Yeah, and inspiring in in and of itself. I am going to mention just one of the most horrific things, which a lot of people don't know about. But as people were talking about it, they talked about her escape from from Ike. Right, and it was. A horrific throwdown fight. She somehow found the courage to run from her hotel room. She hid behind garbage cans. She goes to another hotel and she offers them whatever she has for a room. And she never looks back. She had to live on food stamps after leaving him. Yeah. She wanted nothing. She gets the divorce. She's the only thing she wants is to keep her stage name. Keep the name Tina Turner. Where she turns that from something not into, yeah. not good for her into claiming it, into owning it, into turning it into the Tina Turner that we all know. And what's weird for me in a way, Nick, is I'm alive during all of this. Not the 50s, obviously. No, no, no. But, but the 70s and the 80s. So, and this is something I had started talking to you about prior to uh, uh, about prior to the show. It's really interesting watching someone who will become iconic, but you don't know. You yeah. never know. Listen, Saturday morning cartoons went this way. They went till about noon, one o'clock ish. Yeah. Okay, after the cartoons were done, American Bandstand would play. I saw Ike and Tina Turner on American Bandstand. Yeah. Not knowing that they would she would become this global force. So I'm I'm just gonna like the best way I can liken it. Um and it's not even the same level of epicness and iconography as Tina Turner, but going back to Ryan Reynolds for a second. Mm-hmm. Um Ryan Reynolds used to be on a show called the odyssey he was one of the bad guys as a teenager on the odyssey when i was a kid watching the odyssey it never crossed my mind that ryan reynolds would not only be in these huge movies but would wind up playing this iconic comic book character yeah because he's just some kid um but tina it's got to be kind of similar like seeing tina turner i can tina turner on american bandstand could you have even seen like yeah, you knew they were they they were going to be popular. Obviously, they were probably well, popular. I didn't know that as a kid, well, but yeah. But how, how how could you know that she was going to go on from this to being one of the most iconic performers in music? You wouldn't. And this is the thing: she starts humble, she gets fame, she she. I, I want to get the right word here. She dismisses it. She gets. She puts. She it, perseveres. She, she puts it away. Yeah. Has nothing. And then rebuilds herself when I'm coming into the scene fully aware as a teenager that you have this beautiful woman of color who at this point is in her 40s. Yeah, that's true. Starting all over again. That's true. And she hits the ground running with what's love got to do with it. And and that's kind of the thing is she does start again in her 40s when most 
other pop stars, and I hate to say it, are being are well after being put out in pasture. Yeah, exactly. She had to compete with Madonna. Uh huh. She had to compete with Cher. Yep. She had to compete with people who were established, and she's older, yeah. you know, and she's she didn't know if she could do it or not. And the fact of the matter is that she was passed upon quite a bit because of her age and everything else, and yet. You see this woman who claims herself, claims her true self, reclaims her name, claims who she is, who she's going to stand for, what she's going to be, and at that age also exudes a confidence and a sexuality because she had the best freaking legs. Yeah. In all of rock and roll. I, I think at one point they were insured for like a million dollars or something I, I, like that. So uh, what the the, the 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 image that always crops up for me with Tina Turner is her doing that dance to rolling on the river. Yeah. Where she's where she's Yeah, in, in Proud Mary. Yeah, and she's back and forth, her hair yeah. and her legs are going like that. The energy that woman had yeah. was intense. And she's doing it in high heels, no yeah. less. You know, and there was a point where they said uh, she was doing some sort of concert or something like that. And they're like, oh, is she going to be able to come down the stairs in those high heels? And like, gee, that was like her signature. I remember when we did Cinderella, mm -hmm. they were going to put up, just for context, I played one of the ugly stepsisters. The ugliest of the stepsisters. I had a giant goatee. My other buddy, Johnny, called it my chin squirrel. Just, just, <laughs> just so we're aware. But the director, Bill, he wanted to put me in high heels at one point. I don't know how anybody walks in these things. The fact, well, one, the fact that he was able to, uh, the fact that he was able to find high heels that fit me was one thing. But after about three or four tries, I'm like, no, I'm going to break my ankle. Ren is giving me the stink eye for a reason. The first time I wore high heels for a performance, I was in Charlotte's Web. And I went from combat boots to Converse high heels that we found at our jeans. Because John Allen said that I needed to wear them as the old sheep. The amount of times I almost fell on my face. But you did spectacular. And you know what? It's wonderful. because Now I can wear high heels without a problem. So you're welcome. <laughs> and we all owe it to Tina Turner. <laughs> because I, again, that, that became a, one of those branding things for her. Right. Yeah. And she became like, it's not just that even back when she was in the I can Tina review, she was so popular. She was getting movie offers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's played the acid queen in Tommy, you know, oh, like really? Yes. And Tommy the Rock Opera, right? Like, she is the queen of rock and roll. I have, this is undisputed. You want to challenge me? I will fight you. I will fight you with everything I have. And then, like, the 80s were just a unique time. There is not going to be another time like the 80s, I can tell you. But we lost our minds when we found out that Tina Turner, the Miss Tina Turner, was going to play anti-emnity in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Oh! Hex, yes. Hells to the yeah. Oh my God. And the, the, the thing is, the thing is, is Beyond Thunderdome is, it's such an iconic film in its own right, first yeah. off. 
I mean, the Mad Max films are great. Um, it is such an 80s film. It is. It is. It is. It is. But, but I mean, if you think about it, not only do you have, I mean, this is this was still kind of rare. Yeah, Madonna was making movies, but they weren't great. You know, but usually in the 80s, they would have a really good pop star, a really good rock star. They would yeah. do, um, they, they would sing a song for a movie, like Madonna does Vision Quest, right? She's not in the movie, but she sings the song for it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I think Tina Turner is one of those ones where it's one of the first times I really remember. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there were others too, but it's one of the first times I really remember somebody in rock and roll of her ilk being in movies like Tommy yeah. and and uh, Beyond Thunderdome. But not only does she play Auntie Enmity, a villain mm-hmm. <laughs> of all things, with such great aplomb, but she has that wonderful music for then that song and video for the the movie yep. beyond thunderdome so and, and let's talk about that because she wasn't actually in a whole ton of movies no um like she was in tommy she was in mad max and funnily enough she played the mayor in last last action hero with arnold schwarzenegger right. but really there's not a whole lot no. but she is such a presence in everything she's in yeah, and this, it's funny that when you think that the, the movies that she's in, basically three of them, mm-hmm. you know, and probably a bunch of TV guest spots and what have yes. you. Yes. But when you really think about it, you you think of her not just as a singer, but as a movie star, too. I yeah. mean, she is just well, one of those ethereal presences that is untouchable and yet so humble. It doesn't matter which... Part of the entertainment industry producers casting agents um music producers and all that all talk about the x factor and tina turner had the x factor in droves she had she was it she yeah. had it yeah you know and it's not just that i mean when you think about the inspiration that she has had not just with people like beyonce and, mm-hmm. and so forth but um but in the drag community there's like three big sort of drag performances that drag queens like to do. Cher. Yep. Whoa, it's got to be Cher. Dolly Parton and Miss Tina Turner. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Like, um... I mean, some of them do Madonna and whatever, right? Of course they do Madonna, but I mean... I think those are the three that are more more or less synonymous with drag performance. Yeah. They they just love these women, and I, I understand why. Well, I mean... When you look at who they are and what they are, they exude femininity. and But it's also, they're exuding it in a, I don't want to say cartoonish way, but kind of an over-the-top way that fits with drag. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the differences here, but like, I, I almost feel like, like Tina Turner and Dolly Parton are bookends. You know, you have the Queen of Rock and you have the Queen of Country. Yeah. You know? And I, I really feel like they're bookends because they are both, they both came from these really humble beginnings mm-hmm. and never forgot about those real no. humble beginnings. Because uh, it was on when the Oprah Winfrey show was on, Tina Turner's on there, and this is when she's getting ready to do her final tour and the whole bit. And there was this uber fan, super uber fan, that just loved Tina Turner, wanted to meet Tina Turner the whole bit. Tina Turner... Brings her to Switzerland. 
tours around with her in Switzerland, just spends like this week with her, just ha just living, letting the girl live her best life, brings her on Oprah, and she's just like, oh my God, it was so amazing. Like, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I mean, wow, what a great thing for her I know, to have done. I know, right? that's amazing. So it's just this this kind of rich kind of wonderful humility that she had of, again, knowing herself, knowing when to say, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I have enough money. I have enough money to keep myself where I want to be. She gave up her American citizenship and took uh, Swiss um, citizenship, mm -hmm. got, has a Swiss passport. So she she knew where she wanted to be when she and when she wanted to be. When I just want to go back to the iconic dance, yeah, that she does. Um, when I was in college, when I was in theater, uh, theater school, there was a girl. We we had to do movement class, and we had free we had a freestyle movement. Mm -hmm. There was a girl. Whenever a high level pop song came on, she was just doing the Tina Turner dance all the <laughs> time. Absolutely, I wish I could remember her name. Um, but yeah, like. Yeah, Tina Turner doesn't have the presence in millennial pop culture. That because she, she did, retired. Because she retired. But it's still there. Millennials yeah. still knew who she was. Well, because you know the song. Even yeah. if you don't know her, you have heard the song. Everybody has heard the best. Everybody has heard What's Love Got to Do With It. Yeah. Everybody has heard Proud Mary. Yeah. Everybody, like, you, there is just no way that she will possibly ever go away. It, it's just... She's had a Broadway show done about her life. Yeah. You know, she's had a movie. What's love got to do with it? Exactly. And that's how you know. I shouldn't say that, but. Angela Bassett. I'm going to interrupt. Angela Bassett should have won the Academy Award for that. Fair enough. But this is the thing. When you reach a certain, like, in John Cleese's introduction to her. Right. He says that she reached the heights of myth. Myth, Tina Turner. Absolutely fantastic. But he's right, though, because she's not just an icon. She's a legend. Yeah. And legends are the people that have the movies made about them, that have the Broadway shows made about them, yeah. that are remembered. But think about the, the women that we've talked about, right, mm -hmm. that are in her sphere. Yeah. They all have single names. You say that name. You know who you're talking about. Madonna, I don't. Cher, I don't have yeah. to sit there and say uh, Dolly Parton. Yeah. I just have to say Dolly. Yeah. You don't have to say Tina Turner. You just have to say Tina. Yeah. And they know. But the thing of it is, it's like when you think about it, nobody says Miss Cher, nobody says Miss Madonna, but sure people not. do say Miss Dolly Parton and Miss Tina true, Turner. True. 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 Again, bookends. Queen of country. Queen of rock. You know, like, it's just unbelievable. Like, I'm, I'm having trouble expressing the words because there's so much that you could encompass with this. And I would encourage everybody to check out the biopic, What's Love Got to Do With It, to get that beautiful snapshot of her life mm -hmm. that we're talking about. Because I think it's probably one of the more accurate biopics out there. I mean, things are always done for dramatic purposes. Oh, right? what are you talking about? Uh, the, the Rocket Man, that's incredibly accurate, including all <laughs> the musical numbers. But, but yeah, but uh, let's not get, get off on a tangent. We'll talk about Elton John at another time. Oh, yeah. Um, I, but I do want this, this wonderful little snippet. This, this is beautiful. Like, this is, gets back 
to Tina Turner being a grounded person, knowing where she comes from, having humility, being gracious to her fans, being gracious to people. Nick, I have not spoken to our number one alien, Don, in mm-hmm. quite some time. As we were talking the other night after Miss Tina Turner had passed away, and there was a group of us talking about it and sharing stories, I got a glimpse into our number one alien, Don's former life, which I didn't know. Don has made custom furniture. Cool. Ottomans, chairs, that sort of thing. And she had a nice, successful business doing that. Mm-hmm. Nice little cottage industry, whatever, whatever. She gets a phone call looking for one of her Ottomans, looking for a piece of furniture to right. be custom made. At first, she doesn't believe it. It is from Miss Tina Turner. Well, I mean, why would you believe that? She saw the furniture, liked it, wanted a piece, contacted Don. (laughs) Don, our number one alien Don, our sweet, humble, would never have told me this in a billion years, I don't think. Her love of Area 51 and a half, her claim to fame is knowing us, and I went, shut the front door, Dawn. You made a piece of furniture for Tina Turner. That's awesome. And you, we are nothing, baby. That's awesome. We are nothing. Like, it's, and I said, I have to share that on the podcast. I need your permission to share that on the podcast. She's like, yeah, sure, share away. And she's just so gracious and humble about it. And I'm just like, my mind is blown that a piece of Don's furniture that she has made is sitting in Switzerland in Tina Turner's house. That's awesome. That's amazing. That is so cool. I know, right? So, but this speaks to the type of person that anime bullet Miss Tina Turner was. Never forget who you are, what you've been through, where you come from, and how you're getting out on the other side and who you want to be. Brand yourself. What is it that you want to stand for? Who are you? Claim yourself. Claim your your birthright. Claim your name. Claim what the universe has for you. That's what Tina Turner stands for. Yeah. And what a legacy she leaves behind. A rich legacy of movies, of music, of television appearances. There is nobody that would speak ill of her. I can't imagine. You know, and this is the thing. This is what we're this is what we do this podcast for. We are a pop culture podcast and this is a pop culture icon. Yeah. Legitimate pop culture icon. Yeah, and you know, and she still will teach us lessons mm-hmm. because one of the things that she said is I have forgiven Ike. She has forgiven him. She forgave him. She says I didn't forgive him for him. I forgave him for me. Yeah. You know, again, owning it, right? Of course, his narcissism sits there and says, well, baby, can we uh, get back? I like, no, I forgive you, but you're not coming back into my life. Yeah, We are not doing a project together. I don't care. That That is strength. Mm-hmm. That is strength. 
she forgave him. The Buddhism helped her, you know, the Buddha's philosophy helps her in the life. She knows that there is room for this. She understands. She forgives the the anger. She forgives the the failings, mm -hmm. his failings that he has to own. She forgives that so she can have peace. Yeah. And that's what's important. Yeah. And she does have peace. And that's why I said I didn't want to talk about a yeah. whole lot about those eras because that's not what she stands for. That is not who she is. She is the proverbial phoenix that rose from the ashes. Oh, that's a great way of putting it, too. Like, she really is. Mm -hmm. Because she had nothing, had the fame, lost it for her own sake, for her own safety, through her own choices, which were the right choices to make, mm -hmm. and rose up and became herself, her true form, Miss Tina Turner. Uh, Aliens, this has been emotional for me as a Gen Xer, as a fan. We're going to leave it there, but we're going to remind you, if you are in the London, Ontario area, remember to pick up your tickets to Forest City Comic Con held on June 24th at London, Ontario Centennial Hall, where you get to see us doing a live broadcast of Area 51 and a half and ask us questions like we pretend we know how to do a podcast. You will see incredible cosplayers and you can shop with amazing vendors for all the pop culture things. So you can check all that out and the schedule by and get tickets at forestcitycomiccon.ca. Nick, reminder aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, you can find us first and foremost on YouTube by looking for youtube.com forward slash the area 51H. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the area 51H. And of course, you can find us on Facebook by searching for area 51 and a half. Thank you for joining us on our landing pad, aliens. For Ren, Nick, and me, Spooky Uncle John, we are signing off from area 51 and a half. Play the best. What?